0: of January 9th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 568. The podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. Oh,
1: I forget. Where's the Grey's Anatomy Hospital? Where is Grey's Anatomy? Seattle? Thing? Is it Seattle? That sounds right. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Michael Giltz. I, d- I don't know why you're at at at. at it's renewed at for season 19. And, uh, oh my God. There's joy in the household of my relatives. They are I can tell very you very th- happy that Grey's Anatomy is coming back. They're kind of ready. They know it needs to end at some point. They're willing and ready to let go, but they don't want to.
0: <laughs> do you know why that that Do you know why it keeps
1: getting uh, renewed? Because it makes Ellen a ton of money over. Well, yes, but Ellen Pompeo says that's not enough. You know, we're going to run out of stories at one point. Uh, you know that that may be why other. You know, she says no. We're gonna we're gonna end it. You know, and it could no be- no. no
0: I, I'm saying the reason it keeps getting renewed in part is because it does so well overseas. It makes a ton of money overseas. It makes a
1: ton of money here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's well, big there everywhere. you go. Yeah. No, it's not like a secret, like, oh, it's doing okay here, but it's huge overseas. It's big everywhere. So, yeah.
0: yeah you, you know, all those shows that are produced like, like Grey's Anatomy, it does great on, I don't even know where you can stream it now, but it all, I know it does well on streaming. I think it's Netflix. Um, but of course, you know, the CW is up for sale, Michael, we could buy the CW, but part of the reason that it's up for sale is because Paramount, which co-owns it with Warner Brothers, they make shows for the CW, but they make more money. Selling those shows to Netflix than then airing them on the CW. So they're like, we don't really need a broadcast network anymore. We, we can get rid of that and just keep making these shows and selling them to Netflix and to Hulu and to whoever else wants to buy it.
1: That's true. You're right about Grayson. And, and that is why they're saying we can do more money and make do more things with those channels than sh- airing the CW. We can make more money elsewhere, I guess, with those local TV stations. Yeah, right. But you know, la- last week because you would think I, that would add to the value of those TV stations and what they're worth. So I'm not quite sure. Maybe they don't own enough of those to care.
0: Yeah, probably. And and it's losing 100. The broadcast network is losing 100 million dollars a year. So why? 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 Know. It is. Yeah, uh, I, I, I I thought the same thing, Michael. When I I when reading all the stories about the fact that CW is up for sale, and I thought, wait. It's losing 100 million. How is that losing they, 100 million dollars? Uh,
1: do they mean just the operations of the network and they're not taking into account the profits they make elsewhere? It may Correct. be, be so. Okay. So that's it's kind of a lost leader that they actually do make money ultimately. And they're, Correct. You know, so it's not so much that they're losing money. But you're right. Grey's Anatomy is on Netflix. All 17 seasons can be found there. I believe the most recent season, season. Uh, well, there's one season on Hulu, so I assume it's the most recent season or the current season. Uh, and of course, you can stream more episodes on some other seasons. But to find them all, you got to go to Netflix. And at some point well, in, in the old days, you'd say, once you've got 100 and 150 episodes, there's diminishing value in creating new episodes for syndication because they have enough to strip. But that's different when it comes to. Sales around the world of new episodes, Correct. sales on streamers, because obviously new episodes keep people binge watching more and more. I would imagine it's different. It's a different dynamic than what happens when you're just stripping it.
0: Well, and stripping means you know putting on every single day of the week on a on a like you know a TBS or a, or a cable network. Now you know uh, the uh, Lucifer. You might recall me mentioning this in the past, Michael. Of course, Lucifer. Yes. Uh, it's owned by and produced by Warner Brothers. And when they sold it to Netflix, and Netflix now produces the new shows uh, along with Warner Brothers, uh, it, they sold it to Netflix all territories except Germany because they could break even, if not make money, by producing the show and just selling the rights in Germany.
1: That's and how so popular like- that's how popular it was there. So they kept that one, you know, fountain yeah. of of money, that geyser. Yes. Yeah, so a uh, lot's going on. Grey's Anatomy will be back on the air. Djokovic looks like he will be playing the Australian Open. A, a judge has just overturned the government's decision. We'll see if there's an appeal or whether it's all done. We were talking about but uh, Benicio, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie. And I was confused because it seems to be this animated. Was last week, yeah, we, last we, week or the talking- week before. Yeah. Okay. And I was confused why they would make another animated version. It's not a live action film, but it's not animation can drawn or computer it's stop motion animation. So that's the creative reason why there would be a reason to okay. make that movie. And I'm like, fair enough. Okay. And, um, you know, well, not. you
0: know, Djokovic, the big problem with Djokovic in Australia was the whole COVID thing. Remember, uh, he didn't have a vaccine. He did have a vaccine. He had no, COVID. no, he, he did, did not
1: have a vaccine. He's not okay. been vaccinated ever. Okay. He simply had he had a COVID case in December and believed that should allow him to come into the country without having to get vaccinated. Okay, well, you might recall
0: I had COVID. I tested positive for COVID two years to the day that it was first, uh, uh, you know, uh, discovered uh, on December 31st, 2019. Well, I came back to Los Angeles after the holiday break, brought my COVID with me because, you know, you don't want to leave it behind. Uh, And then shortly thereafter, every single late night talk show host wound up getting COVID. Is that a coincidence? I think not. I like to share. I like to share. Do, Do you hang out with all the late night talk show hosts? No, but I thought it would be a funny joke if I put that up up top.
1: Okay, did you kiss? How how am I doing? How am I doing? Did you kiss James Gordon?
0: I mean, how did you share it? (laughs) I talked about them. I watched their show. I watched their show, and through the television, they they got it. You have to be careful with the COVID. This Omicron is really, really contagious.
1: (laughs) Well, so is Showbiz Sandbox, because once you listen, you can't stop. Sausage rolls for everyone. That's what I say. You listen to showbiz, you get a sausage roll. That was the I have number. No one, idea what you're talking about. That was the about. number one Christmas song in the UK. It was Lad Baby featuring Ed Sheeran and Elton John. So we know that sausage rolls for everyone became the number one song in the UK over the Christmas holiday that one day of the year. So that happened, uh, and lots of other stuff happened. What are we going to talk about this week?
0: Well, I've got some good news and some bad news for you, Michael, because this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we do have the New Year Blues. It's uh, a a side effect of COVID, by the way. Uh, Now, people keep dying. Okay, that's really what we've got. And not a lot else has happened. People are dying. And by people. I mean, literally it it felt like a wave this week of people dying. So Michael is happy because I know you love Obits, Michael. So I love got,
1: celebrating people's lives, yes,
0: yeah, and you got your work cut out for you this week. but uh, you know, now we're gonna supersize the show uh, with I don't know how we're gonna supersize it, frankly, with so so few stories to cover. And hey, if you, by the way, if you see a story that we should cover or just have an idea for a topic that we should discuss, you should let us know. You can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address, D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. We can read your email at the end of the show during our our listener correspondence segment. Uh, You can even call and leave us a voicemail. We can play your voicemail during that segment. The number to call is 888-567-SAND- that's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter, at Showbiz is our handle. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sandbox. Now, we're going to take a look at award season and try and figure out what happens if an award show falls in the forest and nobody is around to hear it. Does it actually make a sound? <laughs> the Golden Globes are about to find out since they didn't even bother to stream this year's ceremony. Okay. They just, it was more like a, a board meeting than, than an award ceremony on uh, inside baseball. Cause we're not going to have big deal, big whoop this week. Nothing happened. Uh, on inside baseball, we're going to look at music streaming and the remarkable growth in, in what? Like TikTok or hot new acts, or I don't know what the latest on YouTube. Nope. Nope. None of those things. The remarkable growth. That we're gonna examine is in catalog. Classic albums are bigger than ever, and we'll discuss why that is. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Wop, we're not gonna discuss anything. In fact, as I mentioned, because even though it's in our show notes, <laughs> uh, we're not gonna discuss it. Okay. Oopsie. But yeah, well, anyway, first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz, who loves it when I. Uh, Riff. Improvise. Yeah, when yeah. I just riff oh, on the notes. It goes so written.
1: smoothly, people wouldn't even notice.
0: They'd have no idea that I <laughs> should have come to rehearsal. Anyway, uh, Michael, you're going to fill us in on last week's box office. That's
1: right. And I won't be riffing. I won't be improvising. <laughs> I will be reading the numbers. We're looking at box office around the world for the week ending January 9th. And the number one movie, no surprise, is Spider-Man, No Way Home. Another $167 million worldwide. It's at $1,536,000,000. It's now eighth on the all-time worldwide box office list. Uh, Doing similarly big stuff in North America, domestic and the international charts, of course. Looks like it could get to six or five depending on how many more legs it has, but uh, it has eight legs, doesn't it? It's Spider-Man, but it's uh, it's doing really, really well. And we're looking at the box office for the last week. And that, that means we get to say Spider-Man, No Way Home, made $167 million in the last seven days. But if you look at ComScore or you look at most of the charts, like the numbers or box office profit or your local newspaper, they're going to tell you, when they give their big number, they'll say, "Ah, oh, over the weekend, Spider-Man made $97 million. It's a lot of money, but isn't it better to say $167 million? For a brief period, Comscore was reporting total week grosses because the grosses were so small. But the fact is there's no reason to ignore four days of the week. Especially Why when ignore they're kind that? of a, yeah. they're a
0: holiday. Last week was Pretty much for a lot of people. Yes, in the U.S., people went back to work and back to school. However, in other countries, they, they were off. Like I know in the U.K., in Europe, lots of people
1: didn't go back until today. Spider-Man made $70 million from Monday through Thursday. Yeah. Right? In the That's- U.S.? No, and worldwide worldwide. And then it made $97 million over the weekend. Hence doing math, $167 million worldwide. Why give people the smaller number? We say again, it's great that we're seeing more and more coverage of the worldwide box office because that's the number that matters. You don't give TV ratings for Oklahoma. You give them for the entire country. And when you're looking at box office, give the total week's numbers. There's We've said our say, but here we go. Number one, Spider-Man, $167 million. Number two around the world is Sing 2, which has good reviews and good word of mouth from the families that are heading out to the movies. It made $46 million this week. It's a little bit under $200 million worldwide. It only costs $85 million to make. So this movie is going to triple its budget from box office alone. A big success story. And yet, and yet it's going to PVOD early. You're right. It's going as soon as it possibly can after seventeen days. And you have to wonder why. It's getting great word of mouth. People are going out to see it. It's going to triple its budget if you would leave it alone in another week. Why would you not want that success right there? It could get to two fifty-five easily. Give it another two weeks. And then you can put it on video a premium video on demand. It is going there. It will be there for twenty-five dollars rather than the more typical twenty dollars. And honestly. I know one family that was already discussing doing it. They may have bought it on Sunday, so you know they said, "Oh, they don't want to take the family to the movies yet, but they are ready to pay for that." And they were looking at that movie, so I guess they want that twenty-five dollars. And number Maybe three, that's right, why
0: they're doing it because well, that's always economy. why they
1: do it. They think if they do it quicker, people will will pick it up and buy it, and they'll make more money. I'm not sure that that calculation works. I think 30 days is plenty early, or 45 days, really. I think that's extremely soon after a movie hits theaters. There's no reason not to let it play out. If it flops and nobody's going to it, yes, sure. If nobody's in the theater anymore and it's been pulled from the screens, basically, where it's down to less than a million dollars, sure, put it on premium video on demand. But when it's still making $46 million uh, this week, uh, then I don't get it because you're going to get a lot of piracy, aren't you?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, once it's out, it is out. I mean, look at what happened uh, with uh, The Matrix, Resurrections. It was the number one pirated movie for the past two weeks.
1: And it's also available on HBO Max. So the reason why they're not going to the box office is perhaps poor reviews, available on HBO Max and widely pirated. A bad one, two, three punch. But number three on our chart is Embrace Again, the Chinese drama about the Wuhan lockdown. $29 million this week. It's at $113 million worldwide. Uh, At number four is The King's Man, another $26 million for what's pretty much a disappointment. That's at $75 million worldwide. There's another Chinese film here. It's a period comedy. It's called Another Me, and it made $23 million this week. Pretty good hold. It's at $51 million worldwide. Then we switch over to Hong Kong. This is specifically a Hong Kong thriller. It's G-Storm, the fifth in the series, $20 million this week, also at about $76 million worldwide. The Matrix Resurrections, you were talking about that. That made $19 million this week. It's at $125 million worldwide. Obviously, it's the COVID era. It costs about $200 million to make. You'd want to make $600 million worldwide. But the last two movies in the franchise were reviled. Even though they made big chunks of money, they were pretty much reviled. So there was only the first Matrix movie that really had that aura of cool. Did people really want or need this? They tried to do a workaround and make it hip again. Not sure how well it worked. Have you seen the movie? I have not. I have not either. And normally that would be a movie that
0: I, I would see. And I have really no desire to see it, to be honest.
1: Why would it I normally don't know why. be a movie you would see? Well, so, you did know, you it's love, a big... Did you love the second two Matrix movies or... No, I hated them. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> if they made two in a row that you hated and you're not hearing rave reviews for the new one, it's going to make you hesitate. Yeah, true. But there are good reviews for Encanto, the Disney movie that is out in theaters, the animated film. It made $10 million this week. It's at $216 million worldwide. And when we're looking at momentum for award season and for the Oscars, this movie's really turning into a success story in terms of its soundtrack. The soundtrack hit number one. It's got two songs in the Hot 100 right now. So one of them is... Uh, we don't talk about Bruno, which some people said should have been the song they submitted. I think they made the right choice though. Another different song and another song in the hot 100 is surface pressure. Both of them are charting on the charts right now. They're doing well. So, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's really, really, uh, you can see people are seeing the movie. They're listening to the music. Obviously it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. So he's a big name in terms of, uh, drawing people into the movie and into the music and it's working. Right below that you is. you know what? It, it's mm-hmm.
0: it's on Disney Plus, but it's also still in in theaters. You know, I it's thought only- it was
1: exclusive.
0: It was originally, but then for Christmas they put it on Disney Plus. So remember, it came out around Thanksgiving, and around Christmas they decided to put it on Disney Plus.
1: Oh, that's right. Well, yeah. So that was like 30 days later or. Yeah, at least. Yeah. It was 30 plus days. Yeah. So it was an exclusive in the theaters for a while and it still made $10 million at the box office. Uh, What's not working is the 355, a female action flick starring some uh, big names. But unfortunately, women and older audiences, which is slightly more of the audience for this. It's not a fanboy movie. Exactly. It's more of an adult fun action flick. Like uh, what was the one with all the old people? (laughs) <laughs> you know all the you, old people Yeah, you know, Helen Mirren and Stallone, what was that called? You know, oh. they were they're all older kicking ass. Uh,
0: oh, Helen Mirren action comedy. I do re- <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. and it was like Bruce Willis was in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was
1: every old stuck off like Red. Red? Yeah, Red? yeah. Well, there was one called Red, but retired. retired was, uh, was something I was thinking of the other one though, the one that's been two or three of them. There's the one where there's been with uh, Stallone and all the older aging action stars in their own action flick.
0: Oh, it starts with an E. I know what you're talking about. They drove a tank down
1: the Quasette for one of those, the Expendables. The expendables, yes. They're up to Expendables number four coming on next year. So yeah. this is more of an Expendables type play for older audiences. And uh, sorry we didn't have that information at the top. But the 355, it was a Jessica Chastain uh, you know, project that she wanted to make happen, and she made it happen. Sadly, $6 million on its opening week. Blame COVID? No. Blame the movie. Uh, here's another Look, they film. Didn't,
0: they did not release this in January because it was going to do really, really well during the Christmas season.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, and the film below that is a Russian film. It's a third in a series called the last hero. Number three, it made $6 million on its opening week. And to which I say, I guess in Russia, they don't really remember the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, the last hero and how awful that was. So they're able to use that name again for a different movie. Nothing to do with that. Still, uh, with that Schwarzenegger flick. Uh, that's one of the epic bombs of the uh, last 30 years, I would say below that ghostbusters afterlife, $6 million, American underdog, $4 million, licorice pizza, still. Quietly expanding. It's at $2 million this week, $8 million in counting. Uh, but that could still, I don't know if it's going to, You know, I guess they're hoping for award season magic, Oscar for best picture and stuff like that. That's when they'll go wide and hopefully click in on top of the awards. Uh, a Journal for Jordan is at $6 million, but that's falling fast. House of Gucci doing well, $2 million this week. It's at $128 million worldwide. Uh, a pretty decent success story for an older skewing movie. Nightmare Alley, on the other hand, that is not doing well at all. That has pretty much fallen off the charts. It, again, very poorly reviewed. It wasn't going to work at any time of the year under any pandemic circumstances. West Side Story is also not doing great. I'm a little confused by the box office this week for that movie. Not sure what was going on there. Maybe it fell off the charts and nobody went to see it this week. It should have had at least an extra 2 or $3 million worldwide, but I can't get any numbers on it, so... I'm a little lost there. Maybe the international numbers for that movie haven't been reported yet, or they haven't come in. It's not on the comm score chart because it wasn't in the top 10. It made $16 million last week. Even if it fell hard, you would think it would make 8 or $5 million. It, it doesn't make sense. It would go completely off the cliff. But everywhere I look, I see $53 million worldwide. And that's the total we have last week. And that's why this movie is not on our list.
0: Well, you know, uh, over the weekend, I saw a movie that I think is coming out this week or came out last week. I can't remember, but uh-huh. uh, it's a movie that was uh, in a couple of festivals. What's the title? F- Delicious or Delicieux, uh, if you want to be uh, French about it, because it is a French film by uh, director Eric Baynard. Uh, it stars Gregory Gadebois and Isabel Carre. Bless you. And uh, Yeah, I actually were, was able to pronounce those uh, those names. It's about the first restaurant in the world and how that came about. I'm sure there were restaurants before that, but the, the, the legend of how restaurants came about of, of, you know, people stopping, uh, you know, the postal, uh, stops in France and Europe. Was it good? You know, it was, I could see people going, oh, there were some melodramatic moments. Yes, there were. And there were some, a few moments where you were like, eh, that, that wasn't really needed, but do not watch that movie hungry. Okay. <laughs> it is not a. It's it, uh, you know basically the, the main character is the chef. He uh, decides to to leave his his position as a chef for the the duke because uh, the duke wants him to apologize for making something with truffles, which are for pigs. And uh, he goes off and goes back to his hometown and uh, starts a little inn. And of course, it becomes very well known because he's such a good chef.
1: And, it's interesting. Uh, I don't see any release date on IMDb for this film uh, for North America. I see it in other parts of the world, but I do not see it in North America. It's interesting. I, I'm not sure when it's coming out. Maybe it's going straight to streaming. January
0: 14th, 2022. I just found it. Uh, okay. It's on Google. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, on it's,
1: IMDb. It, 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 it
0: was beautiful to watch. Well, but, I saw uh,
1: Drive My Car, which is, is certainly a hot property in terms what'd of- What do you TV. think
0: of that? What would you think? Three um, hours. Three yeah, hours. I don't care Japanese film.
1: Yes. Okay. About a man who's uh, a theater director and actor. And he is grieving over a loss and he is trying to move on with his life. It's, uh, I liked it. The thing I liked the most was just the theater stuff. Frankly, I haven't been to the theater in two and a half years and I miss it tremendously. And in this movie, there's a lot of time spent in rehearsal of uncle Vanya, the Chekhov play, and then performing uncle Vanya. So I kind of felt like I was in the theater again, because there's an audience watching the performances and they're very quiet. And so you get that sense of being in a theater with a lot of people. And I was like, Ooh, it's like, theater, I remember you. I love you. So I kind of really liked that most of all. There were parts of it that felt a little uh, schematic. I'm not sure what the word is. Just sort of like, here is my monologue telling my story. You know, it felt a little blunt in terms of storytelling. Yes. But there were parts of it that were quite strong. It will probably be on my best of the year list, but not in my top five. So it was an interesting movie. Certainly worthwhile.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're leaving out, of course, the setup for the. For
1: yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I don't know if I should have even done that, I don't want to talk about the setup. So you know. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you yeah. um, know, but uh, Sing Two is going to premium video on demand, and Pixar's Turning Red, which is a new Pixar animated film about a little girl who, when she gets upset and gets too emotional, turns into a giant red panda. That's going straight to <laughs> Disney Plus. I've seen the ad and the trailer for that multiple times. It looked kind of cute. Uh, but it's going straight to Disney Plus. And some people pointed out, specifically Variety, Disney animated movies have made it to the theater, but three Pixar films in a row have gone straight to Disney Plus. Is that because they're trying to punish them or show them, or is it just because... The Pixar films are such a gold standard that they're more valuable for Disney to draw subscribers to Disney+. Plus. That's the thinking here, that they're saying those movies have such a name brand quality about them. Everybody wants to see the new Pixar film. And so they're using that to try and drive subscriptions because they need more people to subscribe to their streaming service.
0: You know, I I don't know what it is. I I agree with you. I I was a little surprised by this, especially when the last two Pixar films went straight to Disney Plus. It's like, you know, at some point you you have to think, what are those animators going to do? There's plenty of other animation jobs now. No, there aren't. (laughs) There
1: are, but, you know, not at Pixar. Not Not a a Pixar, but if Pixar is is becoming the the straight to- It's the money. There, It's not the straight to. They're just saying right now, they're desperate for content. They need to keep pushing subscriber growth, but you're still letting go of all that money. I agree. Even if it's a third of what you would make otherwise, it's still money on the table. It's awfully expensive to spend $200 million for one 90-minute movie and only showing it on your streaming service. That's not normally a decision I would make. You know, I I would always want to take that $200 million movie and put it on there. No, who's making that?
0: Well, Bob Chapek, of course, when he came in, he's now the CEO of Disney. That's right. He, he rearranged. He's a money man. He's a numbers guy. Correct. And he, he came in and said, okay, we're going to, rather than have, uh, you know, a motion picture division and a television division and a video, he said, okay, we're going to, um, have this one guy, this one department that kind of looks at everything that's being made and determines where it should be distributed. So stuff that was actually meant to go theatrical could actually wind up going
1: directly to Disney Plus and stuff that was meant for Disney Plus. And that, and that focus on streaming is what has kept their stock up over the last two years when box office was shut down for a year at a time and the, and the parks were shut down for a year at a time. So maybe financially, that's the right decision. You know? That, yeah. But you're are well, yeah. looking at it from the exhibitor point of view saying, look, we're desperately trying to get people to come back to the movies. Families aren't coming back yet. Come mid-February or March, we're going to be out of this wave, probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, of Omicron. So people will be ready and feel comfortable going back to the theaters again. They have a great safety track record. If you would damn well, just wait a few weeks and give us a Pixar film, we might start getting people back to the theaters. Because guess what? A year from now, you're going to want people to be able to go to the movies and see big movies and gross a billion dollars. And if you don't keep supporting us by showing films theatrically, we may not be here.
0: Right. Well, and then you have people... So. The name of the, the gentleman in charge of what is now referred to as Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution, okay, mm-hmm. that's the name of that division, is Kareem Daniel, and everybody else is underneath him, including all of the studio executives. It's why you see some studio executives uh, leaving, actually. Uh, you know, you see them because of the flow chart? Not because of the flow chart, but because they have no control over the stuff that they make, where it's going to wind up. In other words, if you're if you're making a film and you're in the motion picture division, you expect it to be distributed a certain way. Well, there Now, there there's hasn't, no guarantee of that.
1: Well, as an example, what? Other than the two Pixar films, what else can we point to? That has been some tragic thing. Like, I meant this to be a feature film, and suddenly it's been put on, you know, Nickelodeon. Well, that well Scar- be, that Scarlett
0: Johansson might have a, a thing or two to say about that. Well, Although, that was not the
1: pandemic shutdown, yeah. right? People are not finding that their 150 million dollar movies are suddenly being shunted to a cable channel, Disney plot, you know, to well Mulan, Disney Junior. That, Jr. that again,
0: that was yeah, uh, yeah
1: that was a live action. Again, that was a in the height of the pandemic. So yeah, yeah. so I don't think. There are a lot of examples of people they may want to have more power or more control, but there's not a lot of examples of this stuff happening. That's why we're talking about the two that we can't because it's so notable. But COVID exactly. is everywhere. You've got COVID. Djokovic had COVID. Uh, Sundance doesn't want COVID. Sundance is going online. Berlin doesn't want COVID. The Berlin market is going online. The Berlin market, not the festival, the The Berlin Berlin market. Well, let's wait. (laughs) We'll see what happens. The Grammy Awards don't want COVID. They are going online. I'm sorry, not online. They are postponing the Grammy Awards yet again for another year. They don't have a new date yet, probably April or May. We shall see. So many TV shows are having to delay because of COVID outbreaks amongst the crew. That's how contagious this sucker is. NCIS, NCIS LA, Chicago Fire, because Sperling kissed him, James Corden, and all the late night talk show guys have got COVID. Uh, Star Trek Picard, the new Star Trek Picard season two, they are filming, but they had to pause because over 50 crew members got COVID. 50 of them. Oh my God. That is like Sherman to Atlanta. (laughs)
0: Well, now can we talk about Sundance for a second? Because... Um, back in August, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to do, you know, our online version last year or in 2021 was so successful. People loved it. I was one of them, by the way, who said that Sundance did a great job, even though there was a little like, why are you limiting the number of people that can see a specific right. movie? Because, well, like, yeah, if
1: they're, if they're journalists, you should be able, I mean, you don't want a hundred thousand people watching a movie, but right. You know, 2000 journalists versus 1000, who cares?
0: Right. Exactly. So. Then uh, they said, okay, we're going to do the same thing this year, but we're going to do it in person. We're going to have a hybrid. It's going to be in person. And for those who can't make it or may not feel safe coming in.
1: And financially and physically, there's so many reasons they should be able to allow people to attend virtually. Correct.
0: Well, and I said, well, I have a couple of uh, conferences back to back at the end of January. If there was ever a year to do the, online version, it would be this year. I could do the, the, the festival. I could go to the conferences. It's not ideal, but I could do it. So very early on, I made the decision, I'm going to do online. On December 15th, or even before then, I went about picking all of the movies. They only give you 25 that you can see. You can only see 25. And I'd probably see about 30, 32 during a, a regular festival.
1: Which is far um, more than most people do. Right, because they're going to parties and panels, yeah, you, and we go to Con and we like see thirty to forty movies, and i will be like, I've seen seven,
0: <laughs> right? And I'm like, where were you this whole time? Yeah. Uh, so you know, it, chose it's your twenty
1: five films,
0: and I, ch- I chose them all, and then they decided last Tuesday, I believe, they're going to go online only because it was would be they felt irresponsible to bring you know twenty thirty thousand so people. Pandemic,
1: pandemic. Yes, yeah, pandemic. We understand.
0: And so then, what they decided was, well, some of the important journalists oh, and the we're important not, had not
1: chosen online, had not chosen online, and, we, chosen online. Oh, and we have this not, fictitious
0: thing wearing you over. And they said, so what we're doing is we're rolling back, oh. rolling back everybody's ticket purchases, and Monday morning today, when we're recording at eight a.m. Mountain Time, we will be turning the website back on. For everybody to stampede in like it's Ticketmaster oh. and, and repurchase all of the tickets or just purchase let the first. top
1: people go see whatever they want. This is stupid. exactly why would you know? You're gonna tell people at the Times or Variety Hall Reporter on deadline they can't see something? Come on, ridiculous. I know. I just thought, you know what, guys? I get that you're trying
0: to do this. Oh, that screening is full and it does kind of no, yes, no, it doesn't. It does. It's
1: not when it's online. No, it doesn't. It's a stupid. Well, they also
0: all, they sold all of the tickets and the passes and things like that. They're not refunding anybody's money. Well, they're saying, That's a different issue. That's a different issue. Yeah, I agree with you on that. That is a totally different yeah. issue. And I can understand why they don't want to do that. It's, it costs them money to refund, and they're a nonprofit, for Pete's sake. This is actually going to cost them a lot of money.
1: Well, yes, but if I'm a freelance journalist and I paid good money to go there, I can't afford to give it up either. So, you know. It's not everybody is not being funded by their corporate overlord. You True. Know, when I yes. go to Con, I spent, you know three four thousand dollars to go to Con.
0: Well, by the way, now that I've complained about Sundance, I will say that I was able to to log onto their website at seven a.m. Uh, Pacific time, and I was able to get all of the uh, the, the same tickets again. So. Oh
1: Well, great. Glad to hear it. It is award season and Sundance is often part of that, even if it's a delay of a year before their movies become available for new awards. But it happens within the same year. And we've had some more awards going on. The Golden Globes. They had no celeb presenters. None. Nothing. Didn't well, they be- did ask me. They did ask me. But I said, I am boycotting like all the other celebrities. I'm boycotting. That's right. So not even streaming their event because who would watch? It was just them. And so they announced their winners. The Power of the Dog won Best Drama, plus Director and Supporting Actor. Best Musical or Comedy was West Side Story, which also won three awards. Best Comedy, I mean Musical, Actress and Supporting Actress, but not Rita Moreno. Best International Film was Drive My Car. Best Animated Film was Encanto. And Best Director was Jane Campion, among other awards. And then there was the National Society of Film Critics. Best film, director, actor, and screenplay? Drive My Car. The runner-ups were Petite Maman, which I'd really like to see. Celine Sciam is great. And The Power of the Dog. And their best documentary was Flea, which I'm also looking forward to seeing. Here's the question. The Golden Globes happened. They couldn't even do a Twitter feed correctly. They made mistakes and jokes and things and had to keep deleting stuff because it was so stupidly and incompetently done. Truly incompetently. Example, when they announced West Side Story won Best Comedy or Musical, they said, if laughter's the best medicine, make sure you go see West Side Story. It's like, well, West Side Story is the film for the, you know, what ails you? It's like, Yes, that would work if it was a comedy, but it's a musical and it's a tragedy. So it's not really a laugh riot, West Side Story. So they had to delete that. They had to keep deleting their tweets. So they couldn't even do that right. They should have just said, here are the winners. You know, no games, but they didn't even do that right. Will people care? Because he didn't have the power of celebrities. He didn't have the TV show. Well, we've argued that it has very little um, impact. All that matters are the Guild Awards. But Are people going to miss watching the SAG awards and the DGA announcements and all this stuff? Can can, can I, can I quote someone about all of this?
0: Richard Rushfield of the Angler newsletter, he wrote, we are long past being disabused of the notion that the world can't survive without its Oscar circuit or without Hollywood self-congratulatory pageantry in general. But the indifference at this point makes one wonder if not only does the world not mind if they go away, they might actively prefer that much of it never come back <laughs> i thought that was a perfectly written little say, like uh couplet there since i think it's too well i think most yeah. people
1: have tuned out all those awards you know people pay attention to it in the industry but nobody else cares about you know the indie no. awards or this or that or the costume awards or the you know or the annies or things like that as cool and fun as they are for the people who do them most people aren't tuning in for them they never have and they never will but no, yeah. the
0: one bemo- the one thing p- thing I hear people bemoaning uh, that they're like, okay, this is actually what the Golden Globes is good for is in January when those awards are held and they're handed out to to movies that could really they're still in movie theaters and could use the little extra commercial push by getting some headlines. That's kind of what they'll miss. Not necessarily all the pomp and circumstance, but the actual promotional
1: value. Well, it was a big, it was a big, successful TV show too. It got high ratings for many years. Yes, correct. You know, that's, that's powerful, but now people know you've got Netflix. Check out the power of the dog. That's true. And Uh, you'll probably you'll probably want to check out some uh, some older stuff, though, when you're listening to music. Not not all this new stuff. That's right. It's time for Big Deal. But no, it's not time for Big Deal, Big Whoop, because we don't have any because it's been such a quiet week. But it is time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the biz and more importantly, how they affect you. Sperling was just doing a lovely segue into Inside Baseball. Talk to me.
0: Well, you know, Michael, uh, especially me, people are consuming more music than ever, especially online. I've listened to more jazz more classical, more Gregorian chant. And yes, I'm talking (laughs) about I didn't realize it was Gregorian chant at the time. But I read an article in The New Yorker and went and I immediately looked up the the uh, the music that was 15th century, you know, music. It was fantastic. Anyway. Uh, They're listening to more music than ever. And by the way, here's the thing. More of that music that we're all listening to, it's older music. It's not Gregorian chant necessarily, but it's catalog albums and songs that are at least 18 months old or 20 months old or four years old or 30 years old. That's the takeaway from a year end report by the industry's top tracking service, MRC data.
1: That's right. So people are listening to music, and more of it is older stuff. So audio streams in North America, I'm sorry, the United States specifically, U.S. audio streams reached almost a trillion streams in 2021, 988 million streams. Clearly, next year will go past a trillion. If you add in the music people listen to via clips, on YouTube and Vimeo and the like, then it hits 1.1 trillion streams. Remember that's the U S alone. I'm a little surprised. I would have thought adding in stuff from clips and YouTube and the like would be a lot more streams than, you know, 120 million streams. I would have thought that would account for a lot more, but I guess that's 10% of all the streams. So it, it is 10%, but still, I thought it would be even more. But 2020 was a crazy year thanks to the pandemic. We thought there'd be an explosion of music listening. Then we realized, oh, wait, people aren't commuting anymore. They don't have to fill up that time with podcasts and Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. But after a dip, a little bit of a dip, when people found new routines in their lives, audio streaming kept on growing. And in 2021, it grew some more. So audio streaming continues to grow, even though people are trapped at home and going back to work, commuting, not commuting. People keep listening to stuff on their streaming services. But here's the big surprise new music just accounted for 25% of all the music listened to in 2021 via streaming. So when I went onto a streaming service, 25% of that streaming was Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. And 75% of that music that people are listening to is older stuff. Now, older means 18 months or older. So like the weekend, blinking lights. That's over eighteen months. It's been out for quite a while, so that is technically now a catalog song, and clearly so, it's not so dominating que- the charts like it did before. But mostly, we're talking about Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Gregorian chants, and all that sort of stuff.
0: So you're saying that that then uh, Josquin des from the late 1400s that would be considered, uh, you know, part no, of the
1: catalog? Not necessarily. Not if it's a new recording. So, if it's a new album of oh. Gregorian chants, because that happens all the time, it's not when the music was written; it's when the recording you're listening to came out. So, there are new classical releases all the time. Gregorian chants had a, a heyday on the charts when they mixed in some trance music, and suddenly Gregorian chants were all the rage in the '80s. Those were new releases. There wasn't like people were going back to some 1970s recording of Gregorian chants by monks in you know Germany or something. So, it by just the depends way, when you know the album we're gonna, was recorded, yeah, and you know we're going to get
0: get, uh, email saying, oh, Josquin Dupre is not Gregorian chant. Technically it's yes, I know. It's not at it's, all. It's, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's one way to kind of relate what I was referring
1: to. I know it's not Gregorian chant. It
0: is, it is uh, choral music, but yes.
1: So new music is not the dominant factor when you're on the radio. A lot of it is new music, especially depending on the channel you're listening to. But when people sit there and streaming and are playing stuff, They are gravitating towards more older stuff. And it's not just like the usual pattern. The dominance of catalog music is growing. I'm going to jump a little bit down towards the bottom. In 2020, catalog accounted for 66% of all streaming consumption. So in Northam in the US, when people are listening to music, two-thirds of it was streaming. In 2021, that jumped up to 75%. So this wow. is not like a typical, this is how much people typically or always listen to me. It's growing. And in fact, in the second half of 2021, catalog music was 82% of what was streamed. Now there's well, a lot going on here. People are not touring. There are perhaps slightly fewer new albums. So there's Adele and there's lots of big names still coming out with music. It's easy to put out music, even if you're not touring. But without touring and without as many new albums and ways to promote them, maybe people are not getting as exposed to new music as they were. But nonetheless, looking over the last two years, the dominance of catalog continues to grow when it comes to streaming.
0: Yeah, you know, one way that I find new music every year is when uh, Coachella comes around and they they put out their poster. And by the way, uh, apparently, uh, it's not official yet, but uh, apparently Billie Eilish and Kanye West will be headlining uh, this year's Coachella if it's even held. But because Coachella has not been held now for two years in a row, uh, I don't I didn't go through the, the poster going, oh, who's that? Who's this other group? Wait, I got to listen to these people. And so that's how I fa- find a lot of the new music that I listen to is by looking at the looking at who's touring
1: and then finding them and, and listening to them. Now, I have a good friend in Minneapolis who goes to live music all the time. And boy, was he chomping at the bit to get back to it. And he's been to some outdoor events and even some indoor ones. So he loves that. He goes to see new acts and older acts all the time. I know you go to Coachella and you were sort of going to some other acts over the year, but do you typically or his- historically go to a lot of concerts or is it really Coachella's your one big splurge?
0: The, the years I, that I do go to Coachella, it is definitely one of the the bigger uh the the bigger shows I go to, but then I can cross off a lot of people that I don't have to see because I've seen their act. Uh There was one year where I went, Hey, there there's a, uh, a You went to new- see
1: Lord. You went to see Lord. Yeah. I went to see Lord. Yes, I went very to see cool. in a little club.
0: Uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Courtney Barnett, mm-hmm. uh, at great. these, yeah. in these like small little, at the Troubadour where Elton Not- John got his start, at least here in the U S. Um, but you know, and so I'll see, you know, uh, Leon, uh, what's his name? Uh, Leon Bridges? Leon Bridges, yes. Uh, Wow. (laughs) A
1: little uh, COVID moment there. Now, Courtney Barnett is a great choice. She has a new album out in 2021. Have you listened to it yet? Yes, it's it's good. You know, she's good. She's good. Okay, so you did not miss that. That came out in July, and I thought maybe it would have gone under the radar. She didn't tour. She wasn't able to promote it, so maybe you would have slipped through your fingers. You were saying it was harder for you to find out about new music.
0: She she actually promoted it quite well. Along with St. Vincent, they did a very good job, those two acts particularly, promoting on social media, so on Instagram, on TikTok, not that I'm on TikTok, but uh, on Facebook, they were really pushing that on Twitter. They, I mean, they they sponsored a lot of posts, and you, you, know, you, you definitely
1: knew that they were doing something. St. Vincent's new album uh, Daddy's Home is one of my favorites of the year, uh, but you were saying I don't know if I'm hearing about its new music as much as I used to, and I re- wanted to recommend to you and others, pauseandplay.com P-A-U-S-E-A-N-D-P-L-A-Y Pause play. Dot .com is a pretty good source for a curated list of new releases. It's not going to have everything because there are literally thousands of albums, if not more that come out every week, but they do capture some of the big names and some of the rising talent, both new releases, uh, digital only and catalog releases of, you know, reissued stuff. So pause and is worth checking out. If you're having trouble finding out what's coming out, or even if you don't hear about the acts that you love and you oh, I didn't realize he had a new album, that's a good thing to do. But I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons catalog is dominating is because there's so much more of it, and it's so much easier to check out. When you're streaming and you see a Beatles documentary and you decide, I want to listen to the White Album or Let It Be, click, you're done. Now, it's just as easy to listen to a new album, but there's a lot more catalog. And when you're at home, the decision to, you know, like this year, I've been listening to a lot of Brazilian music because I stumbled across a list of the best Brazilian albums of all time and felt like I was lacking so, I worked my way through the list and started listening to a bunch of these artists that I know and I've heard some of their music, but not necessarily these classic albums. So, I, I could just do that. I didn't have to say, Do I want to spend $15 on this or that or the other thing? You know, I really, I really, uh, you know, just dove right in. It didn't cost me a penny extra. Can you send me that list? I, I love Brazilian music. I'm oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, we'll include it in the show notes. Why not? <laughs> you know,
0: it, it's, it's, uh, it used to be that, you know, the, you know, music blogs like Gorilla vs. Bear or Aquarium Drunkard or, or Brooklyn Vegan that that you could get a lot of good uh, new music there. Uh, now, I mean, like for instance, today, Third Eye Blind celebrating 25th anniversary of debut LP with New York City and LA shows. Okay. Sharon Van Etten, Angel Olson and Julian Baker announced joint tour. It, it's not so much like Pitchfork used to I guess I could uh, look at Pitchfork, but uh, I just don't go go. I, I tend not to, to visit those sites as much anymore.
1: Hmm. Well, and music's not as present in your life. Maybe you're not as commuting as much. You don't have as many opportunities. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I watching think it too was- many
0: movies. Watching too many movies. That's the problem. Too- I'm spending too much time uh, picking my movies for Sundance. That's that's <laughs> the problem.
1: Well, I think that list came from Rolling Stone Brazil, which is why I thought, okay, I can trust them. There's a there's a, a long list on Wikipedia uh, of like a hundred different albums of uh, what Rolling Stone Brazil chose when they were naming the best hundred greatest Brazilian albums of all time. That came out like in 2007, but I thought, okay, it's Rolling Stone Brazil, so they know their own country. They're going to know the stuff. And there were certainly albums that I knew, but a lot of others that I hadn't, or albums by artists that I knew, but I hadn't heard that particular album. So you'll find a lot of cool stuff to check out. Well, you know who's not checking out anything anymore? Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, Durst. Robert Durst died. This is just breaking news. The guy who was the subject of the Jinx documentary in which he was caught on on microphone saying, yeah, I killed him. (laughs) So he has died in prison at the age of 78. A convicted murderer and a guy who wrongly thought it would be a good idea to have people film him when he was accused of murder. Not a good idea. Pretty much never do it unless you're innocent. <laughs> don't do it if you're guilty. That's just asking for trouble. He just died.
0: Yeah, well, it wasn't the first documentary made about him, was it? I, I think it was like, uh, well, maybe maybe it was the first documentary, but he was certainly. You uh, I mean he, people thought he was guilty after the first trial, didn't he? It wasn't. The first I, I, time paid, he
1: was- I paid no attention to any of it, but I don't think there were two documentaries well, made about him. But uh, obviously,
0: wild. I didn't either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, <I'm> like, thank <laughs> you. Well, you didn't know who died this week. Who, who were some of the famous and important people in the industry who died?
0: I don't even know where to begin, but I guess we should start with Sidney Poitier. How could you not? He died at the age of 94. He is an EGOT. If I'm, nominee. Well, no, he an EGOT nom- nominee. nominee. Yes. So yeah. so he's
1: been nominated for Emmys and Tonys. And, he, uh, Emmys and, and uh, he won an Emmy and Oscar. No, he won a Grammy and an Oscar, and he was nominated for an Emmy and a Tony.
0: Right, and I think he was the first uh, African-American uh, man to win Best Actor, if I'm not first mistaken. First one to be
1: nominated for Best Actor, and then later, the first one to win. He was nominated for The Defiant Ones, opposite Tony Curtis. To- Dorothy Danger beat him. She was the first black person to be nominated for a lead performance, so mm, okay. congrats to her. And then he won Best Actor, of course, for Lilies in the Field. And then decades, decades later, 38 years later, nobody else, no black man had won a uh, Best Actor or Best Actress Oscar since then and finally they said well, let's just give Sidney poitier an honorary oscar and on that night he was received an honorary oscar for his whole career and denzel washington won best actor and hallie Berry won best actress so that was quite the night
0: i actually was in the audience not not the audience i was in the press room actually for and covering the academy awards that night ah. and i will never forget they gave a i think it was Sidney poitier and robert redford they gave uh honorary oscars to and robert redford was backstage giving this you know uh you know answering questions for the press and just a you know a behind the scenes look while the people are while the press is talking to the winners backstage the show goes on and of they're course. also paying they're also paying attention to the show all of a sudden halle berry wins best actress the entire room Explodes silent because they're listening in their headphones. Okay mm-hmm. to to the to the award show, but they're also asking Robert Redford questions. Robert Redford stopped answering questions. He said, "You know what? Let's let's just listen to her speech here." <laughs> so, he, like we were all watching this A class act. Okay, yeah, and then uh, and then Denzel Washington wins, and of course he says. You know, uh, yeah, of course, the, he stands the, the, in the
1: shadow of, of Sidney Poitier following him all his life in his footsteps. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, of course, you know, the, they got to give you one, too, because they, they, they gave you another one. They got to give me one. And they both came backstage. And that, so you wanted to know beforehand, what's my Sidney Poitier story?
1: That would be it. it was, yeah, they, you know, there, you, there you go. Academy Awards. So, yeah, you know, he won the Oscar uh, in 1964 for the 1963 film Lilies of the Field. That was the same year MLK won the Nobel Peace Prize and Congress passed the Civil Rights Act. So change was in the air, but yet 38 years before it would happen again at the Oscars. His peak year was 1967, In the Heat of the Night, To Sir with Love, and the dreadful but noble and well-intentioned movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, those three films were big, big box office hits. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was the biggest hit in Columbia Pictures history. He was the top box office draw in the country, one of the highest paid actors, and he was a black man. That did not happen. And, of course, when a white man slapped him in the heat of the night, Portier slapped him back. I don't think you saw that in the South. <laughs> but that was, uh, you know, his career is a lot more interesting for what he accomplished and the barriers he broke down and the roles he got to play. He was always aware of the burden that he carried and how he would not take the role of a servant, would not take the role of anything that was slight. Even he wouldn't even play bad guys, even if they were good, complex roles. He was the noble black person who had to be better spoken, better looking, better behaved than all the white people around him times 10, just to get treated as a decent human being. And he knew his purpose and he wouldn't apologize for it as much as it limited him artistically. So You know, you look at Bill Cosby. It's interesting. The last film that Poitier made as a director, because he turned to directing in the 70s, his last directorial effort was Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby. (laughs) He had some successes like Stir Crazy with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder and Uptown Saturday Night. Uh, That was a fun movie that he directed. And Bill Cosby, I think, was in that one. But his last directorial effort was Ghost Dad with Bill Cosby. Dreadful movie. Bill Cosby, dreadful person. But the actual work that he did, I think is extremely important and will endure the, the 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 live action shows. I Spy, and then of course the Cosby Show, groundbreaking and a very funny show. In contrast, Portier, wonderful man, regal, kind, polite to everyone, a wonderful human being. But the work that he did on camera that we're able to watch today, a lot of it is doesn't hold up. So it's, it's a shame, but that was the burden he took on and he talked about it and he would not apologize for it. And he knew exactly what he was doing and the sacrifices he was making to pave the way for others. And he said, they call me Mr. Poitier. <laughs> that's right. Michael Lang died. He's the co-creator of the Woodstock Music Festival. He died at 77. Uh, you know, he did Woodstock. That's pretty cool. He also managed acts and had a modest record label for a while. He recorded Karen Dalton. Uh, so that's cool. But Woodstock, that's what goes on your tombstone. What
0: goes well, on? The and piece? also, he was in the movie. Like, if you watch the, the Woodstock oh, yeah. movie, he's the one riding around on the motorcycle the whole time, who's basically, like, trying to hold the
1: whole thing together. Yeah. What goes on the on the on the tombstone of screenwriter and producer Jay Wolpert. He died at the age of 79.
0: I did it all and
1: changed careers when I was 50 and became a screenwriter. And Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? He was doing fine. He was a game show producer. He worked on The Price is Right until a woman he hired gave him the push to change his life. He grew up as a kid loving stuff like illustrated classics, the books that turn novels like The Three Musketeers into comic books. At the age of 27, he won the Jeopardy Tournament of Champions. If I could do that, I would put that on my tombstone. That would be pretty exciting right there. But it was 1969, and that led him into the world of game shows where he would succeed even more. He was a producer on The Price is Right. He was involved in launching Match Game, Card Sharks, and Family Feud. that's a lot of money in that. And when he tried to launch his own game show company, eh, less successful. And soon he was back at the price is right. But the smartest thing he ever did was hire Nancy Myers to be his assistant in the 1970s. She left that job, turned herself into a hugely successful screenwriter alongside her husband, Charles Shire. And when she saw him in a deli decades later, she said, what's going on? Why didn't you ever write? What's wrong with you? Get to work. They mentored him. He wrote a spec script of the Count of Monte Cristo, it was picked up and made into a movie, and soon he had a highly lucrative second act doing stuff like that, including story and character creation credit on the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. ka <laughs> He yeah. did Pirates of the Caribbean. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, I,
0: I don't know. Think about how much money he must have made just from that alone. I know it's not all about the money, but and with not, Pirates of the Caribbean,
1: it was all about the money. And yeah, I'm not sure what what deal he was able to strike. He was a pretty new screenwriter, but that, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt.
0: Well, and uh, so let's, let's move on, I guess, to Marilyn Bergman, who died at the age of 92. Uh, I don't know what was—she had like several ages, okay? She I, was, I'm not
1: sure. Everybody named a different age. When I look on her thing, it seems like she should be 92, I think, but— 92, 93, 94. Who knows? What did she win?
0: She won everything. Uh, She was an Emmy and Grammy and
1: Oscar-winning lyricist. That's right. Alongside her husband and lyric writing partner, Alan Bergman. The Bergmans. Huge success story. Uh, Alan is still alive. He and her family were at her side. They were born in the same Brooklyn hospital, but met in California as adults. And at that same Brooklyn hospital, Barbara Streisand, who they met when Barbara was a teenager, not having done anything yet, really. I'm like, this kid's got talent. <laughs> for more we're than are like, gonna years, go places, kid. <laughs> for more than 50 years, they wrote songs that were sung by the biggest names in pop, from Frank Sinatra to Yes, Barbara Streisand. They won Oscars for the songs "The Wimmels of Their Minds," "The Way We Were," the score of Yentl. In all, they earned 16 Oscar nominations, including stuff like It Might Be You from Tootsie and How Do You Keep the Music Playing" from Best Friends. That's my favorite song of theirs. Uh, The Way We Were also won a Grammy for Song of the Year, along with fellow composer Marvin Hamlis, who wrote that song with them. At the 55th Academy Awards, three of the five song nominees were by the Bergmans. That's pretty awesome. They also won four Emmys for stuff like the TV movie Sybil with Sally Fields. Uh, They also wrote the lyrics for the theme songs for TV shows like... Brooklyn Bridge, which is a very nice little show, you should check it out. Starring the mom from Happy Days, Mrs. C. They also wrote the theme songs for Alice and then Good Times and Maud. It's a lot of rhyming go, enterprising, tantalizing, anything, but you know, a lot of lyrics in Maud. Uh, so that's kind of cool.
0: Well, and uh, unfortunately, the next person uh, is was a shock, actually, uh, and and I think it, shock for a couple reasons. One, he's from Full
1: House. Okay, so no, what nobody from Full House should ever die.
0: No, no, but I, I think that you know people would be like, "Oh, wow, you know, wh- why are you covering some full house? What, what? Well, Bob Saget died at the age of sixty-five. He was on the road, uh, hitting comedy clubs. Uh, I guess he did a two-hour set the night before he was uh, found uh, dead in
1: his. Listen hotel. to me. This, this mother, boop, this son of a, boop, this guy is such a. I yeah. don't know why you would even want to talk about this son of. A,
0: yeah, he, he could was- go suck. Yeah, he. The funny thing about him is he did this like wholehearted TV show with the little Olsen twins, and it was and
1: like a- America's funniest home videos, the blandest and unfunniest show alive. Two of the worst shows ever. Beloved by some people. God bless them. But America's Funniest Home Videos, that's as bottom feeding as it gets for bland. The kid fell down. The guy slipped in the tub. Hilarious. And it's just as wholesome and bland stuff as you could ask for. Full house. America's Funniest Home Videos. And Bob Saget, dirty bastard. Dirty, dirty mouth. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, he, he was known as like being like this. Even though he was on all of these like, uh, like really squeaky clean, squeaky clean, clean shows, but then like you got him in private, and he was just like, uh, like filthy, you know, like, filthy man. he's So foul mouth. It's just hilarious. And the number of comics that he helped throughout the years is is countless. I mean, even at the end of his life, uh, which turned out to be the end of his life, he was doing a podcast with other comics that he'd like bring on to say, okay, what are you doing? And you know, how are you, how are you doing? And, and they would all, all have stories about, well, I remember when I came out to LA, Bob, you called my mother and said, don't worry, I'll take care of the kid. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, I was there to write for your show, uh, your full house. And, and then you brought me to all these comedy clubs at late at night. Like, it was just very, he was a very, People could only talk positively about him. and
1: I can can curse. I can talk negatively about him. He's cursing. Yes, like the late Norm Macdonald. He's apparently very nice and beloved amongst the other straight white men who dominate (laughs) stand-up. And also dying this week, of course, is director Peter Bogdanovich. He died at the age of 82, an Oscar-nominated writer and director. Uh, He curried favor with classic Hollywood, notably John Ford, Howard Hawks, Orson Welles. He started at the bottom. He did a cheapy pick for producer. Well, he started in New York. He was directing theater. He was curating for MoMA and the New Yorker. Was it the New Yorker uh, Revival House? I'm not sure of that one, but he was curating shows, writing monographs, doing actually significant and useful uh, film history stuff by interviewing all the classic directors and touting them, along with the Cahiers du Cinema crowd like Truffaut and Godard. They were all talking about how John Ford, Howard Hawks, these people are important major directors, Alfred Hitchcock. And Bogdanovich, like them, was interviewing these people, touting their importance, putting the movies out so people could see them. He had a notable, important career completely outside the movies that he made. If it was just for that work, we would probably be speaking fondly about him today.
0: Yeah, because he would—he was, uh, you know, a writer, uh, and would, you know, kind of like a historian in a way. Yeah. Uh, No,
1: literally a historian. He would interview classic directors and do monographs about their work and interview them about their process. He did one of the better books about Orson Welles called This Is Orson Welles, and their careers ended up shadowing each other quite a bit. Huge early success, big fall from grace, attempts to make a comeback over the years, never quite working, uh, but Bogdanovich probably did a little bit better than Orson Welles did by the end of his, in terms of being able to keep working and create some stuff, but- Quite Orson Welles
0: would, would uh, uh, not concur with that. He'd say he
1: drank no wine before its time. I Yes, I don't see how that works as a joke, but yes, he did do ads for wine. That's true. <laughs> That's
0: true. Well, well and, and for those of you who uh, might be uh, of our age, uh, you probably know at least one film of his uh, besides the last picture show, and that is Mask, or The Mask, starring Cher just and mask, Just Mask. Just Mask, Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. The Mask was the Jim Carrey movie.
1: Right. In the early 70s, he he did some schlocky stuff for Roger Corman. One film he directed under an anonymous name. The Another film he did was Targets, along with his wife, Polly Platt, who was a production designer and a creative collaborator in every possible sense, a great mentor and talent to a lot of people in Hollywood. Then, because of the success of Targets, he was able to make The Last Picture Show, a monstrously successful film. Hugely critically acclaimed, one of the best movies of all time, absolutely, without any question. And then right after that, he made What's Up, Doc? with Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neal, a, a, a fallback to classic screwball comedy and slapstick like Buster Keaton, which was a huge success. And then he made Paper Moon with Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill, another hugely successful movie. And in the midst of those, he and Larry McMurtry wrote a screenplay called Lonesome Dove, which they wanted to turn into a film. That was going to be his initial follow-up to Lonesome Dove. But they wanted Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, and John Wayne, and the old fogies stupidly turned him down. So that movie didn't get made. And a decade later, Larry McMurtry turned that, of course, into the novel Lonesome Dove, one of the classic great American novels and a huge blockbuster success, then turned into one of the best TV miniseries of all time and the most successful. So even his flops at the time in the early 70s became wonderfully successful works. You look at that five, 10 year period. He was doing monographs. He was interviewing the top directors. He was curating stuff at MoMA. He was making the last picture show and what's up doc. And I mean, that's a great 10 years of success. Nothing after that came even close. He did have his commercial come back to a small degree with mask in which he fought bitterly with Cher on that movie and fought bitterly with the studio because he was angry that they cut out he had, I guess, the rights to use some Bruce Springsteen songs, and they decided to put in Bob Seger instead. Strange choice. I, I agree with yeah. him on that. But, you know, uh, nothing else ever matched that. But he, though he did quite a good documentary on Tom Petty, Running Down a Dream. That's a four-hour documentary on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but it's good. And, of course, he acted. He did The Sopranos, most famously, and then he spoofed that in The Simpsons. Uh, But really, it's the three classic 1970s film and his work as a historian and champion of directors like Ford and Hawks and Wells that remain his legacy. If you want to read more, we've got a link to my story that I did for Book and Film Globe, all about Peter Bogdanovich.
0: And, uh, you know, I used to see him on the elevator when I worked uh, for Saturn Films, Nicolas Cage's production company. They had offices in the same building and I would uh uh, you know, people were like, You know that guy? I'm like, well, I know of him. I don't know him, know him. You You would say, Hi,
1: Mr. Bogdanovich.
0: Yeah, exactly. They were like, How do you know him? I'm like, um, life?
1: Like, you know, it's like was he he wearing a neck? Read a book, people. Was he wearing a neckerchief? (laughs) In fact. In fact, he was. <laughs> that's
0: how I recognized it was him. Oh, you're like, that's
1: got to be Bob. Bob that's got to be Peter Bogdanovich.
0: I know Nobody, he has an office in this building, and that's nobody's going to be wearing a neckerchief like that.
1: right? Not I, of in course, L.A. I wrongly would call it an ascot, but it's not an ascot. It's a more elaborate tie that has a very specific look if you look it up. But people often refer to it as an ascot, like me. And then I wrote my piece for Book and Film Globe. I turned it in. And then and only then did I turn to the New York Times to read their obit, which was written by Margalit Fox, one of their great obit writers who's now retired from the Times, but she still had some stuff stockpiled. And so that ran. And I, the first paragraph, it mentioned neckerchiefs. And I said, oh, my God, it's not an ascot. And I went and looked. And I'm like, oh, my God, she's right. So I immediately corrected it. So thank you, Marguerite, for that.
0: And and thank you, Internet, for being able to correct things as opposed to.
1: Oh, yes, it's, it's not in, it's not in print. No, that's the that's the glory of Internet. You make a mistake, you can oh changed. Done.
0: You know like what else is, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what else is uh, the glory of the Internet? This show, because you can subscribe to it in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or whatever the Google calls it now, uh, you know, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can find us. Uh, I believe we're even on uh, TuneIn. I think I could be wrong about that. I'll have to double check. But anyway, please do rate and review the show in any one of those podcast aggregators. It helps us out when you do. You can find that information, those ways to subscribe to us or ways to contact us on our website, showbizsandbox.com. If you want to contact us, our email address is dirt at chobissandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. We're also on uh, voicemail, 888 567 SAND. That's 888 567 Our Twitter handle is at ShowbizSandbox. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash ShowbizSandbox. Again, all of that information, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. I hear they might have a new album out. Uh, they can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. Michael Giltz is a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? Or is
1: it, let me guess, they call me Mr. Giltz? <laughs> That's a good one. .com? I was, I was going to say... Isn't he, isn't he in? Isn't Bob Saget in The Aristocrats? Yes, he um, is. That's that's when, famously, he, that's when everybody
0: started to realize outside the industry, wow, he's really got a potty mouth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is in there. I was going to say, if you want to check out Bob Saget, yeah, he is in there, of course. Yes, he is. And so if you want to check out Bob Saget, check out The Aristocrats. But be warned, this movie is beep, filthy. Yes, it is uh, purposefully filthy, like extremely. It's the dirtiest joke ever. It's really an offensive, terrible joke.
0: Yes, and oh, by the way, a former Sundance movie, if I'm not mistaken. So, I, did you
1: did you RSVP for Final Cut, the zombie movie by Michelle Hazenovicius? Because if you did, you want to pick something else because they are pulling that from Sundance. Once the festival went virtual, they decided they would not premiere it there. I did not pick that purposefully because I've seen.
0: Uh, Havan, uh, say that name again. Michel Hazanovicius. Thank you. Uh, I've seen his films in the past. I've liked one of them, The Artist. It won Best Picture. I've seen three others and I've been like, eh, you know, okay, not great.
1: Oh, I did like my headline. We'll say goodbye with this. My headline for Peter Bogdanovich was The Last Picture Showman.
0: Ooh, that's good. Yes. That's <laughs> he always very called good. movies pictures. <laughs> in, in In fact... If you want to find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry, you can do so on MichaelGilts.com. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice.